Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to another episode. My name is Howard Finkel, and I would like to personally welcome you to Convince Me! Thank you, Mr. Finkel, and welcome, everybody, to another episode of Convince Me. I am Andy Rutherford, joined, as always, most of the time, by Mr. Brian Bennett, Mr. Casey Elrod. Gentlemen, how's it going? To the three people in attendance tonight in the tens of people listening around the world, I apologize as we get ready to rumble tonight for that awful intro. Awful. So if you uh, if you see Mr. Finkel again, will you ask him if he is related to Ray Finkel? <laughs> Are you insinuating his name might be Howard Einhorn? <laughs> is this something I need to know for research purposes? Well, we appreciate the Fink doing our intro for us. You know, we could have went like some 1980s uh, NWA and let Gary Michael Capetta do the introduction for us. But we went with the Fink. Um, and there's a reason we went with the Fink, because that goes in with tonight's episode, with episode 52. And we'll tell you all about that in just a minute, right after our weekly shield. Ladies and gentlemen, Make sure you're following us on all of our socials. We can be found uh, probably our most active page, Facebook, facebook.com slash convince me show. We're on the Twitter over at convince me show. Occasionally we let you guys pick poll topics or pick the show topics. And we do that through polls. When we have those polls, those can be found over on Twitter. Uh, we're on the gram, Instagram.com uh, slash convince me show. Uh, Got some cool artwork over there. That page, that page is gaining a little bit of a following. Uh, and then, of course, you can find us over on our every popular uh, entity that is YouTube, tinyurl.com slash show. And I say every popular one of the videos we've put up over there is popular. But if you guys go check them out, maybe some more of them will take off. Uh, again, you get every single episode in its entirety in video format over there. So make sure you're checking us out on YouTube, tinyurl.com slash convince me show. And of course we are a podcast. We drop vast majority of the time on Wednesdays, uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, we're on Spotify, Google pods, Apple pods, uh, Stitcher, uh there's a few more wherever you listen to them we're probably there if we're not let us know we'll do what we can to get there so now that we got the shield out of the way you know i can reveal why i made the call to the afterlife to have mr finkel introduce our show tonight and that's because back by by popular demand by like two people um we're talking a little bit of wrestling this week as you all know i hope everybody listening to this or watching this checked out pro wrestling for life last week and saw me um on, on the show with sean waltman such a fun time 
Uh, a great time. Really got to chat it up with him a little bit. Super cool dude. Uh, shout out to his co-host, Nick Hausman, as well. Really cool experience. Really shows us how kind of minor leagues we still are, but that's okay. Um, it was a lot of fun, but wrestling's been on the brain since then. Uh, we didn't really talk about WrestleMania a few weeks ago, so uh, we're going to talk a little wrestling tonight. Now, Rod, tell us how we're going to do that. Well, it's going to be how we... If you've watched our show or listened to our show the past couple weeks, we're having a draft. Uh, top all-time professional wrestler draft. And we're also going to include a diva and a tag team in our seven-round draft tonight. Uh, how we decide to go first tonight, or who wants to go first in our snake draft, it is going to be... Drum roll, please. It's going to be a closest to the number uh, game tonight. So get your pen and paper out if you've got it. As is tradition. As is tradition. Also, it's and, a little uncouth to say diva anymore. They're women. Oh, women. I'm sorry. They're not, just, they're not just eye candy anymore, all right. That's right. That's right. Well, tonight we're going to tell or the closest to the number game tonight has to do with how many people watched the most recent episode of Money Night Raw. Viewership's been going down in recent years. So closest to the number, how many people on all platforms, whether it is uh, uh, streaming or satellite, not, not, uh, not recorded since then, but live, how many people watch Money Night Live as it was happening? Ready. Ready? Yep. All right, let's see those numbers. What do you got? 1.7 million. <laughs> 3. 6, minute 316. <laughs> I like it. I like it. How about Rutt? Rutt gets really close with this number. Now, the average viewership for Money Night Raw is 1.774, but it did a little bit better than the average. 1.872. So, Rutt comes in a little bit below the number, but gives him what he needed to go first, or if he wants to go second in her snake draft. How would you like to do it? Well, you know, typically I would I would give the honors in the show. I, I like to go second. I like to see what my opponent's going to do. But out of fear of screwing up my entire draft, um, you do what you got to do to get that. When you get that a chance at that number one seed, at that franchise guy, you can't pass on it. So I'm going to be taking the first pick tonight, Elrod. All right. Who you got? Well, you know something, dude. There's a lot of ways I could go with this pick tonight, uh huh? And uh, you know, I could stop a mud hole in somebody and walk it dry. If you smell what I'm cooking, there's a lot of ways I could go with this. There's a lot of ways we could look at this list. We can look at the most talented in the ring. We can look at the most popular. We can look at, you know, so many different aspects. Who is better on the microphone? Who is better in the ring? But for me, there's only one possible answer. 
as to who number one is. And that is the icon, the showstopper, the main event, Mr. WrestleMania himself, the two-time WWE Hall of Famer, the first ever Grand Slam champion. I'm going with the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, to the shock and awe of absolutely no one. Here's the thing. When you ask anybody that knows anything about the professional wrestling business and you ask them who the best in-ring performer is... There's only two answers. Anybody that knows what they're talking about is going to give you. And they will say those two are one and one A. One A for me is Ric Flair, one of the greatest of all time, who I have zero doubt will be picked at some point in this draft tonight, so I won't go into his accolades. But the other name is consistently the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Um, he opened – He's he revolutionized what wrestling was. He really came into he came into stardom as part of the tag team, the Rockers, which were the first really one of the first ever high flying tag teams doing uh, tag team moves off the top rope. It was a big deal. And then they split up and he started to go on the singles run. And this was about the time in WWF at the time that Hulk Hogan leaves to go to WCW. Randy Savage leaves to go to WCW. Ultimate Warrior fades out, and there's this new crop of guys, the new generation. And Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart were really the two heads of that class, and mainly Shawn Michaels. Uh, We could really break down the technical aspects of what he did in ring, but it was better than anybody else. Um, He was a small guy in terms of professional wrestling and really started to break that mold to where we see a lot of smaller guys now uh, becoming professional wrestlers. If you ask the current group of professional wrestlers, whether they be on WWE, AEW, whatever it may be, you know, who is one of your influences? Uh, It's almost always going to be, sorry, Amber Alert. Don't kidnap kids. It's bad. Um, but when you when you look at it, he's he's influenced pretty much what we see today, um, and he's still influencing. He's a trainer now at NXT, um, and a lot. That's really as far as wrestling product, one of the best products out there. And a lot of guys there will attribute that directly to his coaching. Uh, so for me, this is a no brainer. Uh, the best ever to step in the ring. Uh, the leader at a time when it was hard to be a leader when all the big names were were jumping ship. Uh, so I'm going to go with Shawn Michaels. Shocking pick. I mean, you got the crowd out here just in awe at that pick. Let me ask you this, Rut. Uh, is there more in terms of professional sports and entertainment? Is there any more? Is there anyone else that's more hated than Shawn Michaels is in a city than he is in Montreal? Um, pretty much anywhere in Canada. Uh, it's not just limited to Montreal. Of course, there it is. Or was it Toronto? It was the Montreal screw job. Uh, but of course, screwed Bret Hart. 
beloved Canadian. Uh, so I'm sure he's probably hated in Calgary pretty bad, which is, you know, heart country. I think a lot of people have kind of gotten over that in the last 25 years. But uh, for a while there, yeah, it was pretty shifty situation. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> HBK is off the board. Bennett, you taking second. Well, if HBK has gone, I really don't have anything left to <laughs> on my paper. I, I just had HBK seven times. That's, Solid. That that would have won with me. I mean. That would have won. <laughs> but I'm not catering to Rudd. I got to cater to Elrod. So <clears throat> I'm thinking for my number one first overall pick for my squad here, I've got to go with somebody that has even less hair than I do. <laughs> I'm going with the Texas rattlesnake himself, hmm. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, Stone Cold, he was active – an active wrestler from 1989 all the way up to around 2003. And there during like the mid to late nineties, there was nobody that was more important to wrestling in the attitude era than stone cold. Um, before he was stone cold, he was known by a few other names um, in WCW. He was stunning Steve 91 to 95. And then he switches over to uh, then WWF now known as WWE and he, he drops the Stunning Steve and becomes Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it was a good move for him. His uh, character absolutely took off. Um, he's known as, you know, very brash, very vulgar. You know, he would drink the beer right there in the ring and everything like that. He was very anti-established against the man, which most of the time that man was Vince McMahon. And the fans absolutely loved it. They ate it up, you know. Nobody, I think, I think, you know, if you look at it in wrestling as a whole, there's probably people that were as popular and maybe even, um, yeah, maybe just as popular, but I don't think nobody has had a higher peak. Maybe people have had a similar peak, but definitely not a higher peak. You know, he was a, he was a very sound worker. He was a good worker and he was very good on the mic, you know, especially coming up with the, the whole 316 slogan that he came with. I believe that was at King of the Ring, if I'm not mistaken, where he dropped that uh, Austin 316 line that everybody knows and sold probably millions of T-shirts because of that. You know, if you look at Stone Cold, he had the charisma. He had, he had the look going on. He was super, super highly marketable. And outside of that, though, he also had – 19 championships as a six-time a WWF champion, two-time Intercontinental champion, and four-time tag team champion. Injuries did kind of derail his career there in 03, but he still even remains popular today, nearly 20 years later. And just for the sheer fact that he helped make wrestling so popular there in the 90s, and for the fact that his uh, Stone Cold Stunner may quite possibly be the most imitated finishing move of all time, I know growing up, you go to the playground, somebody's getting a Stone Cold Stunner. You go into the boys' bathroom, somebody's getting a Stone Cold Stunner. Go into your house, somebody's getting a Stone Cold Stunner, you know. So, just for all that, I mean, he's got to be my number one pick. Solid pick. Very solid pick. Love the pick. Love the pick. That so is – uh, let me cut you off there. Don't cut me off. Don't cut me off. Um, 
So I took HBK with my first pick, so the most solid pick that could possibly be made. Uh, Bennett takes Stone Cold with his first pick, and that will conclude the first round. And before we get into the second round, let's take a little bit of a breather um, and let's hear a word from our podcast sponsor because we don't have YouTube sponsors back yet but we will get them eventually. Uh, But with that said, hang tight, listen to a word from our great sponsor, and we will be right back. And we are back, Mr. O'Rod. Who's up? We're going to keep it here with Bennett to make his second round selection. You went with Stone Cold Steve Austin with your first round selection, second overall. So who you got next? Well, now I'm going to take things – a little bit darker. I started with Stone Cold. We're going to go back a little bit um, towards the the grim side. We're going to go with the dead man, the phenom, Undertaker. Undertaker was active from 1987 all the way up to here recently in 2020. Um, He had a a 1990 to 2020 30-year run in the WWE. So if you don't talk about longevity – Undertaker is the gold standard of longevity. He's the longest tenured WWF wrestler right at uh, 30 years. Um, he's a huge guy. He's 6'10", 300 pounds. And, of course, everybody knows the Undertaker. He had the persona of this ghastly, supernatural uh, dead man, you know, the phenom. But, you know, and especially, too, if you if you go back, like, on the YouTubes and uh, watch his debut and, like, him – walking out like people in the audience were like legit freaked out by this guy walking out like it really blew people's minds but he wasn't just you know a gimmick actually he's a very very um great um athlete for a big man you know just go back and look at some of his wrestlemania matches they were some of the all-time best um you can watch him he regularly would run and completely jump over the top rope you know into um, off the ring there, you know, onto somebody, you know, that's, that's pretty athletic for a dude that's nearly seven feet tall and weighs 300 pounds. I think Undertaker, I think of his, his WrestleMania streak, you know, 21 straight WrestleMania victories. That'll probably never, ever, ever be broken. That'll be an immortal uh, feat that nobody else will come close to. Um, Some of his achievements, he was a four-time champion three-time heavyweight champion, one-time hardcore champion, and six-time tag team champion. Um, Another great thing about The Undertaker is he probably has the best entrance of all time. It takes him him about 45 minutes to get to the ring, and then the match could last two minutes. He'd be like, Undertaker with a 47-minute match, you know. But um, he was – Uniquely enough, he was able to stay relevant over the 30 years. He was able to kind of rebrand his persona without staying too far away from who he was, which I've always found very interesting for him to stay relevant for that long. Um, He's uh, very, very loved by fans. And even more important than that is he's very, very, very well um, respected in the ring and outside the ring by his peers. So, I think Undertaker is about as complete package as you can get. So that'll be my number two pick. A lot of these two picks, Bennett. 
going heavy with the attitude era two of my favorite wrestlers i love it you're catering to me i like it this is what i usually do to write i like what i do i I cater you know we used to have a game when there was a group of us that got together to watch wrestling pay-per-views and it was basically how much can you get done from the time the Undertaker's entrance starts until he gets in the ring. Uh, that was a great time to go to the bathroom. That was a great time to go grab something to drink. Uh, I used to, unfortunately, I used Take to be a smoke. I used to be a smoker. I could get most of a cigarette gone before he made it to the ring. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that. His interests were pretty cool. You just had a lot of time to take him in, for sure. All right, right. You've got the next two picks. You, of course, you had HBK in the first round. So, who is your second round pick going to be? Well, you know, I mentioned when I made my first pick that if you ask anybody that knows what they're talking about, about the best end ring of all time, there's one of two answers. Um, and the first answer was – the one I picked at number one, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. So it would only make sense at number two here for me to go with that second one. And that second one is the Rolex-wearing, diamond ring-wearing, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing son of a gun, and he's having a hard time holding these alligators down. That is the Nature Boy. Woo! 16-time heavyweight champion of the world, Ric Flair. Ric Flair in the 80s was really... On, on WWF television, you had Hulk Hogan, you had Hulkamania running wild, and, and that's what a lot of younger people were watching. Uh, but there was another wrestling product, Jim Crockett Promotions, the NWA uh, in the 80s, which eventually became WCW, had this guy with his platinum blonde hair cutting these insane interviews and really traveling the world, stealing the show every night in the ring, going for an hour Broadway, uh, which in wrestling term means it was an hour time limit draw a vast majority of nights. Um, and he really started this whole thing. There's always been that, that section of, of wrestling fans that will cheer the bad guy. That's just what they are. But Ric Flair was really one of those first just absolutely polarizing figures where half the people absolutely hated this man, which he was a he was a heel. He was a bad guy. They were supposed to hate him. My mother, God rest her soul, could not stand Ric Flair. She hated him. But then you had this other part of the audience, the, the younger guys that really wanted to be Ric Flair. You had a lot of the women that really wanted to be with Ric Flair. Um, and, and to be completely, he did it in the ring. And he also on the microphone may be the greatest of all time. Some of the greatest interviews with the passion and the innuendos he would throw in there, which in the 80s was not something that happened all the time. This is well before the Attitude Era. Um and, you know, telling he, he was the leader of the four horsemen and they would tell the ladies on Saturday morning television on their weekly television, we're going to be in Baltimore tonight 
at the Marriott Hotel out by the airport, all women ages 18 to 38. And that was legit. <laughs> you were at the Marriott by the airport um, and had a lot of female visitors between the ages of 18 and 38. Um, really, he took the nature boy, the lavish lifestyle, and he lived the gimmick. It caused him financial problems. Uh, later on in life because he couldn't sustain it, but he really was uh, a, a jet riding limousine or jet flying limousine riding son of a gun with his Rolexes, uh, his shoes that cost more than your house. Um, he said that in, in promos, but it wasn't necessarily false. Um, and you just add that up. You add that on top of how great he was in the ring. You know, at the time, uh, it, this kind of ended in the 80s. Ric Flair was really the last traveling world champion. The way the NWA worked, you had a world champion that traveled all across the countries to uh, all across the country and some to other countries, to Puerto Rico, to Japan, defending that NWA championship against the top guy in each territory, wrestling for 60 minutes every night uh, for months and months and months without being able to go home. That used to be a normal thing, and Flair was really the last traveling world champion. One of the two best ever to do it in the ring, one of, if not the best, to do it on the mic, um, and it, it wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a character. That's kind of who he really was. And he's somebody that even may be more popular today than he was 30 years ago when he was on top. He's all over commercials. Uh, he's all in uh, locker rooms of different NFL teams and college teams giving pep talks. Um, he has a rap song, Ric Flair Drip, uh, came out a couple years ago. He's, he's just as popular in pop culture now as he ever was. Woo, what a pick. HBK, Ric Flair. Who doesn't love Ric Flair? Who doesn't like a Ric Flair? So, right, we'll stick here with you. Who opened up the third round for us and he got? What's crazy is that this guy fell to the third round. I mentioned Flair was over in the NWA doing his thing. But in the 80s, when you talk about wrestling, more people are going to talk about somebody. It's somebody we've done a whole entire show on. Quite possibly the most popular wrestler across the world of all time. And that is, at the time, the immortal, the red and yellow, Hulk Hogan. Um, in the 80s, Hulk Hogan was pop culture. The popularity of wrestling in the 80s, the here's the thing. We're coming out of a pandemic. One of the first events to allow fans back in this past year was WrestleMania a couple months ago in Tampa. Uh, now, they didn't fill the stadium, but they still sold about 40,000 tickets. WrestleMania was built on the back of Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan headlined the first eight WrestleManias, first nine WrestleManias before he left WWE. Uh, he was in the main event of the first eight. He was not in the main event of WrestleMania four. So eight of the first nine WrestleManias, he was in the main event, uh, which is just insane to talk about. And a lot of folks, when you say, 
pro wrestling, they even if they don't watch wrestling, they think about Hulk Hogan. Uh, we've discussed in another episode on the show, he's one of the, probably the best baby face of all time, but the best good guy of all time, telling kids to to eat their vitamins and say their prayers. And he's also transitioned in the 90s when that was kind of getting stale to being one of the best bad guys of all time. Um, now, he's had some some legal troubles and some PR troubles uh, in the last handful of years, but Hulk Hogan is still very, very much a popular name uh, when people think of wrestling. And we look at people like The Rock, who is obviously the biggest movie star in the world right now. We look at how popular Stone Cold Steve Austin was in the 90s, and those guys were. But still, in my opinion, and it could be debated, but it's in a lot of people's opinion, too, the most popular wrestler of all time, at least in the modern era, is definitely Hulk Hogan. That's who I'm taking with my third pick. Getting Hulk Hogan at overall number five, that's, a, that's surprising that he fell to five. Value he pick. Top three. So, Surprised as y'all are. Great value pick. Great value. All right, Ben. You've got the next two picks to recap your first two selections. You went with Stone Cold Steve Austin at one. Then you had the Dead Man with your second pick. So uh, your uh, third round pick, who you got? Well, I'm in a little bit of a pickle because my number three guy was Hogan. Mm -hmm. And then another one of my guys that I had high up, um, Ric Flair, uh, took as well. So I'm down two picks that I had, but, you know, I'm thinking there's, there's been a lot of good talent over the years. Um, a lot of these guys were good at this, good at that. So a lot of times it's really hard to um, separate, you know, one guy that sticks out from the crowd. But one thing we know is true is the cream rise to the top. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go. My number three pick with the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. He was active from 1973 all the way through uh, 2004. Side note, he almost had a MLB career, but decided to go with wrestling instead of uh, baseball. So I thought that's pretty crazy. Um, I think I think he was with the Cincinnati Reds in their organization, but decided to play – decided to not play baseball – Figured he'd give the wrestling thing a shot, and it turned out pretty good for him. He was in um, the WWF from uh, 1985 through uh, 1994, and he jumped over to a WCW and was there from 94 into uh, 2000. Um, Vince McMahon, who uh, there's – it's no secret that um, Macho Man Randy Savage and Vince McMahon kind of had a very long time, kind of a strained relationship. But Vince McMahon said that um, the Macho Man Randy Savage is one of wrestling's all-time greats. Um, I think even people that don't know anything about wrestling know about the Macho Man, known for his deep, raspy voice, the flamboyant costumes, you know, come out to the pomp and circumstance. You know, he had the sunglasses, which may be the coolest sunglasses in wrestling history. There's another guy up there, too. And, of course, everybody knows Macho Man for his, uh, oh, yeah. Everybody knows, oh, yeah. Um, but other than just that, he's one of wrestling's uh, 
most intense and skilled wrestlers in the ring and also on the mic. Go back and look at some of the promos that Macho Man would, would cut there. And uh, you would just be sitting in your chair and you feel like you just drank like four Red Bulls just because of the, the intensity and the energy that he brought just by uh, talking into the mic. And even inside the ring too, you know, he he's a very, very uh, gifted wrestler, very technical wrestler, very athletic wrestler. Um, and even in the 80s, as popular as wrestling was and as much attention as Hogan was getting, I would dare say, you know, Macho Man being a heel was literally on Hogan's heel as far as popularity goes. He was almost as popular as Hogan was. Um, if you look at some of his accomplishments, he was um, a WCW World Heavyweight Champion four times. In the WWF, he was uh, the Intercontinental Champion. And a lot of people argue that he's the greatest Intercontinental Champion that WWS ever had. He was also a two-time um, heavyweight champion and 1987 a King of the Ring winner. So, you know, and also, too, during his time in WCW, he was a member of NWO. So, like, Macho Man was all over wrestling. You know, he's, some of his matches are all-time greats. I think getting Macho Man number six overall is great value. So That is a great value. Macho pick. Man. Great value pick. Side note, have either of you seen the A&E documentary on Macho Man they put out two weeks ago now? I've seen about half of it. Kind of here and there when I was trying to deal with Little Man here. Here's the thing. WWE has their hand in this. They're doing this whole, I think it's 10 documentaries in 10 weeks. A&E's putting them out uh, with WWE guys. The first one was over Stone Cold Steve Austin. Very good. Focused on Austin's in-ring career. Uh, pretty good. Their second one was on Rowdy Roddy Piper. Excellent one. Excellent documentary. Literally, I'm admitting this on a podcast in front of dozens of people, but it literally at one point brought a tear to my eye. Um, but just very good. Highlighting his career. Of course, talking about his death. And then they put out the Savage documentary. And it was a really good documentary for the first half of it. And then they kind of turned it into a hit piece. Um, it was not as they f- brought up a lot of his shortcomings in his personal life, uh, whereas a lot of shortcomings in, in Stone Cold and Piper's life were left off of it. They And those they focused mainly on in-ring. Uh, it just felt like a hit piece. It was kind of disturbing. Easier to talk about the dead than the living. Well, Piper's dead. They That's didn't talk true. about Piper stuff. I guess it goes back to it's just the, the strained relationship that he did have with, you know, WWE. Well, that, that, that's kind of what a lot of people think it is, that WWE had, had their hand in that. And then last week they did one on Booker T, and it was kind of a puff piece. So it's like, what's going on here? <laughs> so getting Macho Man at, let's see, at six, very, very, very good selection. So we're going in the fourth round, and as a reminder, both of you still have to pick a woman wrestler, not a diva, as Rupp pointed out, and also a tag team. So let's see. Bennett, start us off in the fourth round. Who are you going with? Well, for the fourth round, I'm going for a guy who uh, 
was kind of a bit of a failure, really. Um, I'm surprised he's even on this list. He he hasn't really done a whole lot. Um, he tried his hand at football, um, which granted a lot of it was some injuries to him, but it didn't work out for him. And then he tried his hand at uh, some wrestling gimmicks, but it didn't quite work out for him. But he figured it out, and he decided to become an actor, and that's worked out well for him. I'm going to give my fourth pick to the Brahma Bull, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Rocky Maivia, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Um, mostly he was in WWF from uh, 1996 through 2004, and then he did kind of go off to pursue um, – some acting, I guess it worked out a little bit for him doing the whole acting thing. I personally would have stuck with the um, football career, but he did play at Miami. So that's part of his problem there going to Miami. And he did, he did kind of wrestle part-time from 2011 to 2013. And then he came back in 2016. It's kind of an off and on really unique about um, the rock. You know, he's a third generation wrestler. You know, he started out as Rocky Maivia, which did okay at first, you know, and but his character kind of started to get stale, like we've talked about before in our uh, Raw versus Stone Cold episode. And he's supposed to be a face, and fans are turning on him. They're getting tired of it. You know, his gimmick was very tiresome. So he is able to rebrand himself as the most electrifying man in sports entertainment and became The Rock. And when he did this, he became one of uh, the biggest superstars in the Attitude Era and one of the biggest superstars of all time. You know, he – inside the ring, he had some pretty decent skills. I never really cared a whole, whole lot for his finishing moves, but I do think he took um, some really great bumps. But what he's really known for is his mic skills. Up there with the best. I'm up there with Ric Flair as far as uh, mic skills, I think. Very, very charismatic very cocky, um, great trash talker, and he had some really, really catchy sayings. When it's all said and done, he was a 10-time world champion, two-time intercontinental champion, and a five-time tag team champion. So, and any time that you hear The Rock's music come on, you know, the whole the whole arena would just completely light up, and you can feel the electricity. It, it, it's pretty special. So, the Rock was just able to bring an element to himself and really market himself probably better than anybody ever has. So we're going to have to go with The Rock. Good gosh. But I just looked at this list here on the big board. you got Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, and The Rock. Bennett is stacked for some WWF mid mid to late 90s. I love it. I love it. He, he He's going to be tough to beat, right? He's going to be tough to beat. So we're going to shift to right again, his fourth round pick. And a quick recap, you have HBK, Rick Flair, and Hulk Hogan. So where are we going next? Where I'm going next, got to take this pick here to avoid Bennett taking it from me. Uh, and I'm going to pick my tag team here. And quite frankly, I'm going to pick the most popular tag team of all time, the greatest tag team of all time. When you look in terms of in-ring skill, these guys are not the best. They didn't 
they didn't throw beautiful drop kicks and, and and run through the ring gracefully and do all these wrestling holds, but they were the most popular tag team in the history of wrestling. And that is Animal and Hawk, the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom. Uh, these were two guys, they weren't pretty. They didn't have a lot of wrestling prowess. They just beat the piss out of people for real. And the people loved it. There's a thing in wrestling called the Road Warrior Pop. And what a pop is in wrestling is a big fan reaction. Like when Stone Cold Steve Austin, when the glass breaks, that's a big pop in the crowd. Every single night. Pops that nobody had ever heard before were coming when I or when uh, Iron Man by Black Sabbath, which was their entrance music at the time, hit. And that literally became a thing in the wrestling business, the term Road Warrior Pop. It was the loudest crowd reaction you could receive was called a Road Warrior Pop. And that's how popular these guys were. Um, they were thrown together in the eighties, um, in I believe Georgia championship wrestling before, uh, Jim Crockett promotions. I may be wrong on that, but these were two Minnesota guys, uh, that just came out and just dominated people and literally got, they were a little stiff, uh, especially on job guys. And they, you know, just, it looked like they were just beating people to death because they were. Um, and the people loved it. Eventually, these guys went to WWF, uh, became tag team champions over there. They kind of flip-flopped back and forth. They were very much a part of the Attitude Era uh, with the LOD 2000 and Sonny as their manager. My goodness, Sonny's a whole other topic. Um, when, you're, when you're that age, when you're a 10, 11-year-old kid as I was, Sonny in about 1996, 1997, Anyway, not going down that road. Uh, but anyway, uh, the Road Warriors uh, were quite po- not quite possibly. They were the most famous, beloved tag team uh, in the history of wrestling. And no tag team has ever come close. Like I said, that, were there tag teams that were more talented as far as wrestling goes? Sure. Um, but these guys were, were dominant. And no, no tag team has ever been as over as the Road Warriors were. Road Warriors come off the board as the first tag team chosen here. Right, we're staying with, uh, I believe, yeah, we're staying with you, or are we? Yeah, no, we're staying with you. Yeah. Fifth round pick, start the fifth round. Well, I went ahead and took took the tag team off the board, and I'm also going to take the woman off the board here. Um, and I'm going with the probably most important woman to ever be a part of the wrestling business. Now, Rod, you may not be familiar. You're familiar with her work, but, but not her heyday. But I'm talking about the fabulous Moolah. Moolah wrestled her first match in 1949. Moolah wrestled her last match in 2003 at 80 years old on WWE television. 
um, at the top. She really popularized women's wrestling. And here's the thing, women's wrestling, what we see today, you know, women headlined one night of WrestleMania this year, a couple of years ago, they headlined, uh, you know, when it was still one night WrestleMania. And that was the first time it had been done. You have all these athletes that, that wrestle now on the women. You, you got your Sasha Banks, your Charlotte Flairs, your Bailey's, uh, your Becky Lynch's, your Bianca Belair's. You, there, there's some great women wrestling now, but that it didn't used to be a thing. And I hope I don't offend anybody by what I'm about to say, but but it's it's what they were called. There were special attractions that you would use to get people to come to a local wrestling show, and that was two things. That was women's matches and midgets. Those were the two things that sold tickets in the 50s and the 60s. And what would happen was women would travel in troops um, and, and go to these shows and put on matches. And the fabulous Mula had her own troop. She trained women to wrestle for her troop. They would go to the different territories. Um, that was kind of how she started, and that's how she made her name. And then in the 80s, Mula was a big part of that rock and wrestling connection that Hulk Hogan spearheaded, that WrestleMania revolved around. Uh, you had Mula uh, in there against... Uh, you know, Cindy Lopper was at the first WrestleMania in the corner of, um, oh, I'm having a massive brain fart right now. But anyway, the opponent in that match was Mula. Mula was big in WWF in the 80s. And then what she's probably more known for now, besides being the greatest woman wrestler of all time, is the stuff her and Mae Young did uh, during the Attitude Era, which didn't necessarily show their wrestling prowess. But these were two elderly women that were still getting the crap beat out of. They were doing funny segments, but you got to look back. Jeff Jarrett broke a guitar over Moolah's head. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley powerbombed an even older Mae Young off the stage through a table when these women are in their 80s. In 2003, after Moolah had her last match, Randy Orton came in the ring and gave her an RKO. She was 80 years old. Um, and she just passed away a few years ago. And there's a lot of things that came out uh, that were negative about her after she passed. And really, none of those claims have been substantiated. Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. But when we're just looking at her in-ring career, she's not only the first popular women's wrestler. She's not only the one that revolutionized it. She did it for... 54 years, uh, which is insane to think about. So to me, the greatest women wrestler of all time, the one who paved the way uh, for women to be able to main event WrestleMania nowadays was the fabulous Moolah. All right. So Rutt going in the fourth round, his tag team, the fifth round with his uh, woman wrestler. So uh, second pick in the fifth round, Sir Bennett, where are we going now? Where we're going is we're heading up north to Canada, and I'm going to take one Mr. Bret Hart. Ooh. Bret Hart, his his most active years was uh, 1978 through uh, through 2000. Um, Bret Hart is a second generation wrestler. He's part of the Hart wrestling family, which there's a long, long list of uh, wrestlers that have 
come from this uh, Hart family. His dad, Stu Hart, had, uh, I believe, eight sons, which he trained all of them. And a couple of them actually found a little bit of success in it, and that was Bret Hart and his brother Owen Hart. When you think about Bret Hart, I think first thing I think of is he is one of, if not the best, technical wrestlers of all time. He really brought, you know, that into the forefront of him uh, being very technical about his moves and just everything was pinpoint and very skilled. Um, he was in the WWF in the uh, 80s and 90s. He was super popular. He was on The Simpsons. You know that you have made it in the world if you've been on The Simpsons. Um, after the Montreal Screwjob, he left WWF and uh, joined WCW, where he was there from 97 until 2000, where he had to hang up the boots. Um, he headlined three WrestleManias while he was in WWF. And um, for his total wrestling career, He's held 32 championships, 17 of those between WWF and WCW. Um, he's had he was a five-time world heavyweight champion, a two-time WCW world heavyweight champion. Um, really, really interesting fact about Bret Hart is he held championships in five different decades, from the 70s all the way up through the um, 2010. So for me, you know, he had the, he had the look too. You know, he had the he had the long hair, you know, he had the pink and black, which went with the hitman. That was his whole persona as a hitman. Talk, I, I must have, I must be a sucker for sunglasses because if Macho Man is one with the coolest sunglasses, Bret Hart is 1A with the sunglasses. So for me, Bret Hart, he's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, and he's my number five pick. I like it. Red Hart, still going very heavy 90s. I, I like it, though. I like it. So open us up and bring us your first six-round pick, Bennett. Who's it yeah, going to be? We're actually, funny enough, we're actually going to stay right up here in Canada for my, uh, my sixth pick. I'm going to go ahead and take my female wrestler off the board, and that is one fitness model turned WWE diva, Trish Stratus. Ooh who wrestled from 2000 to 2006. Um, thing about Trish Stratus is she really broke that barrier that you had of, of the female talent that was supposed to just stand on the side of the ring and look good. You know, you're just a pretty face. You know, you're just supposed to stand there and be the eye candy while the men go out there and wrestle. Well, she proved that you could be, you know, a fitness model, uh, a blonde bombshell, and you can also go out there and kick butt. She was uh, a record-setting seven-time women's champion. And, you know, she could compete with the best of them. Um, look at Trish. You know, of course, there was, uh, like Rutt talked about, Fabulous Mula. That's a good pick. You know, she really um, laid down that foundation. And I think to kind of go hand-in-hand hand with it, Trish Stratus kind of laid down that foundation for the new era of wrestlers, you know, from the 2000s until today. Um, she really served as inspiration for a lot of uh, former WWE uh, women's talent and also a lot of current 
women's talent, you know, that proved that you could do, you could do both. You could have the looks and you could also um, wrestle. So for me, got to go with Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus. All right. Let's see. Right back to you. You've had your tag team. You picked your lady. You've got HBK, Ric Flair, and Hulk Hogan. So who's going to be your six-round pick? What state do we live in, gentlemen? Tennessee. The great state of Tennessee. And I talked earlier about the territories, how the NWA world champion would go around to different territories. The big territory in the great state of Tennessee was one of the biggest territories in the country, and that was focused out of Memphis, Tennessee. Here's the thing. Memphis, Tennessee, wrestling in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the Mid-South Coliseum uh, used to sell out every week, every Monday night. Over 10,000 people went to the Mid-South Coliseum every Monday night in Memphis, Tennessee to watch wrestling. And who did they go to see? The biggest name probably when you look at the territories and who they were exposed to – quite possibly the most popular wrestler of all time of who he was exposed to. And that is Jerry, the King Lawler. Jerry Lawler has held more championships than any professional wrestler in history. Um, Not only in Memphis, even on a national scale, he was an AWA uh, world champion. Um, And this was all before he went to WWE, became one of the greatest color commentators of all time, talking about puppies and whatnot. Uh, But what a lot of people don't realize, Jerry Lawler in Memphis. This is legitimate. This is not puffery. This is true. There was a long standing before he died, which obviously adds value to a name. There was a question as to who was the more popular King in Memphis between Jerry Lawler and Elvis. And that's legitimate Uh, across the world. Obviously Elvis was more popular, but in Memphis, Jerry Lawler was just as big a name as Elvis. Um, And that even went through two years and years later. In 1999, Jerry Lawler ran for mayor of Memphis. Had no idea what he was doing as far as politics. There were 15 names on the ballot for mayor that year. Jerry Lawler finished third, based almost purely off his name. Um, Here's the thing. If you go back and look at television numbers, Memphis Wrestling... The, the television station didn't go very far. It made it about as far east as Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, so not even 100 miles out from, from Memphis could Memphis wrestling be seen. If you look at the numbers of them Saturday mornings of how many people were watching Memphis wrestling on Channel 5 in Memphis, literally I think it came out to like 80 of the population, which if you put that on a national scale would have been hundreds of millions of people watching this show. Um, And then they had to turn people away most Monday nights to go to the Memphis, uh, to go to the Mid-South Coliseum 
uh, in Memphis. Jerry Lawler was one of the most hated heels in the territory. Then he became the most over babyface in the territory. Heels, they would bring in heels to face Jerry Lawler, and they couldn't stay there very long because they would get heat on Lawler, and then it would be dangerous for those heels to be out and about in Memphis because the people believed in it would want to get back at Lawler. Uh, get back on behalf of Lawler. Um, he was in that area. Jerry Lawler was more popular in Memphis than any wrestler has ever been anywhere. Um, and that's just a fact. Now, granted, he did go to the WWF uh, in the early 90s. And to a lot of people, it was the first time they'd seen it. In Memphis, he was God. But under the territory system, a lot of other people didn't know who he was, except for the incident that, really was the most famous wrestling incident for years and years and years. And that's the work he did with Andy Kaufman. When Andy Kaufman came to Memphis, of course, Andy Kaufman, a big TV star on taxi worked an angle with Lawler. And then they went on the David Letterman show and Lawler legitimately smacked Andy Kaufman on television so that they could go back to Memphis and do more matches and get more people to come. Um, and that was an angle that Vince McMahon Sr. didn't want to do. He didn't want to work with Andy Kaufman. And Jerry Lawler said, well, bring him to Memphis. And they had one of the most famous wrestling angles. It was the most famous wrestling angle for a very, very, very long time. The most popular wrestler in one location anywhere. I'm taking Jerry the King Lawler. like the pick. like the pick. Right finish your list out your seventh round selection you pick uh we'll just recap your pick so the viewers can know uh hbk heartbreak kid Shawn michaels rick flair hulk hogan your tag team was the road warriors your female wrestler was the fabulous moolah and you have the king jerry the king lawler so finish your list out for us the reason i picked this guy last it is not indicative of the fact that he's the lowest man on my list. It's just, I was willing to go back farther than I thought Bennett was. <laughs> and I didn't have a fear that Bennett would pick him. I said, Hulk Hogan was the most popular wrestler of the modern age, but let's go back further to before the modern age and quite possibly the most popular wrestler of all time. And I'll get into why that is was Gorgeous George. Now, Elrod, you, you're not a wrestling historian. You may have never even heard of Gorgeous George, but I promise you, you have seen the influence of Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George was around in the 40s and the 50s, and he was really one of the first wrestlers to have a gimmick. And he wore very bright clothes. He was a little feminine. Uh, he was the first wrestler to come to the ring with music. And you got to remember what decade I said this was, the 40s and the 50s. And he's acting very feminine, uh, coming out and prancing around and dancing. He was the first real heel. But one of the reasons why George was so popular is because his heyday, his biggest uh, uh, his prime, so to speak, coincided with the widespread availability of television. And television 
didn't have, you know, there weren't hundreds of channels like there are now. There were two or three broadcast networks and that's it. Everybody in the country was watching Gorgeous George. He was one of the first real gimmicks. He was uh, the for one of the first wrestlers people really hated. And more importantly, he was one of the most influential. And you want to, he was the first showman. He was really the first one to master the art of the promo and talking. And why I say, oh, Rod, you've seen his influence. Two names that have uh, really just embraced outside of the wrestling world that said they were influenced by, by Gorgeous George. The first one is James Brown, who grew up watching Gorgeous George on television and really developed a lot of his showmanship uh, by watching uh, Gorgeous George. And the other one is someone we've talked about on this show who credits Gorgeous George with his entire promoting aspect of his career. And that's somebody we've done a show on whose YouTube video has absolutely blown up. And that is Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali's rap, his talk, his ability to make people hate him and want to see him get his head knocked in. Because let's face it, we all talk about Muhammad Ali glowingly now. Back then, a lot of people hated him because he wouldn't shut up. And they wanted to watch his fights a lot of the way Conor McGregor does now. He talks people in by making you hate him and wanting you paying your money to see him get beat. That's what Muhammad Ali did. And Muhammad Ali credits all of that. His rap, his mentality, everything. He credits to Gorgeous George, the professional wrestler. Gorgeous George was the first national wrestling sensation because it was just territories until the television came across the entire country and gorgeous george entered he might not be in the arena down the road but he was on your television set every week the first uber popular wrestler uh in the history of the united states was gorgeous george Right, taking us um, in the way back machine with his fifth, sixth, and seventh round selections. Of course, back in the fifth round, he had fabulous Moolah, then Jerry the King Lawler, and now gorgeous George. So, right, taking us back in the way back machine. Uh, Bennett, that leaves your seventh round selection as our last pick tonight. And I believe that this one has to be a tag team for you. So, it has to be a tag team. And, you know, when you get to looking and thinking about all of the tag teams that we've we've seen over the years, we really could have done a list of seven of tag teams because there was some really, really good tag teams. It's a shame I had just to pick one. Um, but I do have one that I picked, and they were kind of – they were kind of there during the same time as the Road Warriors, and that would be the original members of the Hart Foundation which is Bret Hart again, and also Jim Neidhart. They were literally brothers-in-law wrestling with each other, taking out the opposition. They, uh, they formed in 1985, and um, they wrestled together for quite a while and, until um, around WrestleMania 7 when they split, and uh, Bret Hart 
pursued a, a singles career. But um, in the late 80s and early 90s um, was when they were at their peak. And that was also, I think, you know, kind of the glory days of the tag teams. We had a ton of great tag teams um, during that time. Both of these two guys, Brett Hart and Jim Hodhart, were both trained by a Brett's father, who I talked about earlier, um, Stu Hart. And they were known for being extremely technical and very, very, very detail-oriented. Um, I know Rutt said, you know, that there was people that were better uh, technicians in the ring than the Road Warriors, and I think Hart Foundation definitely one of them. And um, one thing with them that I found very interesting is, you know, since they did kind of have that bloodline, you know, they worked very, very well together. You had um, – you had Nightheart, who was like – he was like the, the power. He was the strength of the two. And Bret Hart was the – he was the technician of the two. And you put them two together, and it was like perfect harmony. They were destined to be partners with each other. And they were two-time uh, tag team champions. So, it's, it's a tough choice of the great ones we've had. But I think that the Hart Foundation just sticks out to me. So, I'm going to take them with my tag team. Gladly take them with my tag team. I like it. I like that pick. One of the coolest. Hart and the Hart Foundation. I will say the Hart Foundation, one of my favorite tag team finishing moves ever uh, with the Hart Attack. Granted, the Doomsday Device with uh, the Road Warriors, probably my favorite, but the Hart Attack was also a really cool move too. I might might be burying myself, but um, with the Road Warriors, you know, little me being – you know, four or five, six years old, you see uh, the Road Warriors come out, you know, and they're big, imposing bodies anyways, you know, and they've got the face paint on. They've got the they've got the shoulder pads with the spikes on them. And they're just going out and just wailing on people. That That's pretty, pretty cool for a little kid. Yeah. You know, you, you wanted to you wanted to get those uh, spiky shoulder pads like they had. Never, never did get them though, but maybe one day. Well, that will wrap up round seven. What I want to do before I go into who I believe should be the winner tonight is go over some people that didn't make the cut in our draft tonight. People that may, some might consider to be snubs. Bushwhack. These are people that were left off the list that when you look at other lists, sometimes they find their way into others' top ten. Ultimate Warrior, yeah. Ricky Steamboat, Jake the Snake, Mick Foley, Ted DiBiase, Dusty Rhodes, Andre the Giant, John Cena, Edge, Kurt Angle, uh, Chris Jericho, Triple H, Sting. Are Ronnie you just reading off somebody else's list and saying, no, oh, I, you guys I, didn't I pick these guys? No, no, I – that doesn't list. mean you didn't steal it from somebody else's list. You could have no, wrote it down. This is a list a of other those people guys that have been on our radar. Other top ten list. It's not I, just from one list. A lot China, of those guys were uh, were probably on me and Rutt's radar, except probably Cena and Ultimate Warrior. I don't think either will, one of us had them. I will say this: my my alternate pick had been it chose one of my people. Well, he did choose a couple. Um, I had 
Stone Cold and Taker for obvious reasons, but I knew as late as I planned on taking them, I probably wouldn't get them. Um, but the one on my list that you just named that I didn't pick was Andre the Giant. Um, here's my thing on Ultimate Warrior. If you want to talk about who looks like a pro wrestler, Ultimate Warrior. You want to look about talk about who has great promos, we're not talking about him. You want to talk about somebody who's great in the ring? We're not talking about him. If you want to talk about somebody that was a great A douchebag, we can talk about him all you want. Um, I, no disrespect. I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful, especially to someone that's no longer with us. Uh, but from everything I've heard, not necessarily the nicest guy. And really, he was just a body. Now, granted, he was a heck of a body. He had to look like nobody's business, but that's about all he had. Now, I must say I'm very, very, very disappointed because in this draft now, there was a mechanism that would allow either of you to win automatically without going to a decision. If either of you had chosen Jack Swagger in your top seven, either one of you would have won, and you didn't do that. So I'm very disappointed. You would struggle to make my top 700. Especially when I'm going back to the 40s with some of these. Yeah. Yeah, you're going way back. Way back. Another one that was uh, left off was Bruno Sammartino, too. He I thought was, that's where Rutt was going with this, that pick until he said uh, Gorgeous George there. Bruno was in my brain. I didn't write his name down, but he would have been one if I had to go with somebody not on my list. Bruno was up there. He held the world title for eight freaking years. Yeah, that's worth a a mention. And and he sold out Madison Square Garden every month. So Bruno's definitely worth a mention. I'm surprised that nobody picked Popper. Popper was was up there for me. Maybe if we did a top ten. Or Foley. If we did a top ten. Yeah, if we did a top ten, maybe Foley. I mean, you get three and one with Foley. Well, here is what I base my decision on. Do we get a final argument? Do we get a closing argument? I think I know who I'm going to pick. Well, do we not get a chance to argue why our list is better? That's how this show has always run. Okay, okay. I'll let you change my mind. Uh, Let's see. Andy, you pick first, so I'll let you go first. We look at my list. You look at my top two picks. The Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. If you ask anybody that knows anything about the professional wrestling business, especially those inside the wrestling business, who is the best in-ring wrestler, the best person, the best wrestler to actually wrestle, they're going to say one of two names, and that's Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair. Um, So I have the two best to ever do it as far as in-ring work. If you want to look at popularity, which is what the rest of my list is basically listed on, you've got Hulk Hogan. In our lifetime, the most popular wrestler maybe ever, but especially in our lifetime. Now, The Rock falls into that with a lot of what he's done after wrestling, but as far as what he's done while wrestling, the only other comparable person to Hulk Hogan as far as wide popularity would be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, 
but Hogan in the eighties was part of pop culture. Uh, so you got that there. When you look at my tag team of LOD, the most popular tag team of all time, the greatest reaction in wrestling you can get is a road warrior pop uh, because they got the greatest reaction you could ever get. They're the most popular tag team of all time. Uh, Fabulous Moolah is the pioneer of women's wrestling. She did it until she was 80. She did it in seven different decades. Uh, just incredible. Uh, when you look at Lawler, the most popular wrestler in one location ever. Literally, Elvis was more popular everywhere in the world except maybe his own hometown. Interesting side note, when Elvis died, Memphis Wrestling was in contact with Elvis's people because, you know, Elvis did karate. Um, they were trying to get a match. They were in talks for a match for Elvis to participate in a wrestling match, karate versus wrestler, king versus king, Lawler versus Elvis in Memphis, um, which may would have been a bigger deal than the Kaufman thing. And then Gorgeous George, the first uh, wrestling superstar, the first person that non-wrestling people saw and were drawn into, and somebody that's influenced, uh, it can still be seen today, 70, 80 years later. So the two All best right. to ever do it, and then the most popular ones to ever do it. That's okay. my list. I got you. Bennett, take us home. Why is your list better than his? There's a, there's a few things you look for um, when you want to go with a wrestler that has a complete package. And with my list, I'm trying to put together a complete package. So you want somebody with great mic skills. Obviously, The Rock comes to mind and Stone Cold comes to mind. Um, you want somebody <clears throat> who was very charismatic, very popular. Again, you've got Stone Cold and The Rock. Nobody was bigger in the 90s and 2000s than those two guys. You want to look at longevity. Um, Undertaker, like I said, 30 years with the WWF, the longest tenured wrestler in WWF history. Um, you want your guys or women to be very technical in the ring. Look no further than Macho Man and uh, Bret Hart. And to a further extent, the Hart Foundation, you know, very, very technical in the ring. You want them to have the looks. And I've got a, a wide array of looks. I've got The Undertaker, you know, the big, intimidating, imposing um, phenom there. I've got Macho Man with his flamboyant sunglasses and the outfits that he wore. Um, you look at some of these other guys like Stone Cold, The Rock, you know, just your prototypical wrestler. Then you talk about looks. We can talk about Trish Stratus and her looks. But I want, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, you want a guys that can cut a good promo, you know, again, great guys on the mic. All these guys I have Stone Cold, The Undertaker, Macho Man, The Rock, Bret Hart, all of them were great on the mic to cut promos, especially Macho Man and The Rock. And you want somebody who is going to be a pioneer, somebody that's going to pave the way. And I think that's exactly what Trish Stratus did too for today's um quote unquote divas that we have today. She kind of laid down that that foundation for them. So I think I've I think I've done pretty good as far as amassing my squad for um, a complete package of, of uh, wrestlers. 
I'll go on record and say I like both of these lists. I'm going to start off by talking about Andy's for a second. I mean, the fact that you've got HBK, Ric Flair, and Hulk Hogan, you, know, you could make a solid argument for any of these three being a top overall selection. A person can make the argument. And if you look at Bennett's top three, um, you got Stone Cold, The Dead Man, The Undertaker, and Macho Man. That's also a very solid uh, first three selections. Uh, Andy, when I, he had, of course, he had the Road Warriors in the back part of his draft. He took us way back. And I'll be honest with you, I've never even heard of Gorgeous George before you talked about him. Now, that shows my limited wrestling, I guess, uh, history that I know of. It, I like the Lawler pick. Uh, I did have to Google the fabulous Moolah, but I did I do remember seeing her, uh, her face. Not really necessarily her name, but her face. I remember you gotta remember I'm a lot younger than y'all, about four years. So I, I don't watch I don't rem remember a lot of the mid nineties stuff. You just sit here and applauded Bennett and praised Bennett. Oh, Mr. Attitude Era. May Young was or May Young and Moolah were around during the Attitude Era. Okay, okay. Moving and there on. weren't a lot of 70-year-old women then. It shouldn't be that hard to remember. The steal of this draft, I didn't think that there could be a bigger steal than getting uh, Hulk Hogan at five. But getting The Rock at eight, that's criminal how far The Rock fell this draft. At eight? So Hogan is a steal. The Rock is also a better steal, in my opinion. Getting Bret Hart at six, uh, Trish Stratus. I mean, both of these lists are good. I like how you went back in time, right, on some of your picks. But when you have Stone Cold, The Undertaker, Macho Man, The Rock, Bret Hart, Trish Stratus Faction, and you've got the Hart Foundation, tonight's victory belongs to Bennett. Bennett has the better draft, in my humble opinion. Others may disagree, but tonight, Bennett has convinced me of his list and his draft. We got controversy tonight, boys. Controversy tonight. Woo! <laughs> I got to be honest. This is the convince me screw job. Yeah, it, it really is. But it was an expected one because here's the thing. I knew I could go Fabulous Moolah. And granted, I thought you would remember her. I gave you too much credit, which doesn't happen often. <laughs> um, but I thought you would remember her stuff from the Attitude Era. I didn't think that would hit as close to home with you. Probably didn't. Lawler. You know Lawler is a color commentator. You don't know Lawler is a wrestler. But I knew that would be a miss with you. I picked it anyway because if I was making a legitimate list, that would have been a pick. Gorgeous George, I would have bet money that you had no idea who that was, and I would be raking in right now. You would. But again, I didn't think that would hit home with you but if I was making a list with someone very knowledgeable, that would have been my pick. So here's I, I, the I thing. Sarcasm. I detect a little bit of sarcasm in your voice. It wasn't sarcasm. It was truth. Um, 
here's the thing. I knew when I made my list, it wasn't going to win with you. That's okay, because this is my list. And if we had a wrestling historian here that looked at these lists, he would say, dadgum, Rut, you destroyed that thing. Uh, but instead, we got yeah. you. You know what I hope is happening right now? I hope that I appeared. I'm going to keep pitching this. I was on Pro Wrestling for Life with Sean Waltman last week, and I hope I plugged this show on that show, and I hope we have new listeners this week that are wrestling fans due to that appearance, and I hope they jump on the bandwagon, and I hope they go form a tag team with all the Marvel fans out there, and the anti-Elrod movement will be running wild like Hulkamania in the 80s, brother, and it's going to run wild on you. Who do you think hates me more? People that watch wrestling in the 50s, the 80s, or the Marvel crowd? Who do you think hates me more? Marvel crowd because people that watch wrestling in the 50s are dead. (laughs) Probably right. You're probably right. Congratulations, Bennett. Thanks. You know, obviously mine's heavy with the Attitude Era, but that's that's what I knew best. No Eric Bischoff either. What the crap, guys? Come on. No Bischoff, no, no swagger. He wasn't arrested. Didn't want to win. Got to play to win. If I was going to pick promoters, I'd have picked Vince McMahon. If we're doing all promoters list, I'll pick Vince McMahon and win. But I didn't. Because, you know, I picked the best to ever do it like I did at number one, but that still wasn't good enough for you. Well, it's like somebody, it's like letting a dog catcher judge a dog show. If they got some dog catcher from Backwoods, Tennessee to go judge the Westminster dog show, well, he knows a thing or two about dogs, but can he really properly judge them? This is brutal. This is brutal. He's comparing me to a dog catcher and like, a small county there's, in Tennessee. There's, there's nothing wrong with dog catchers. They just don't judge the Westminster dog show. He's a little bit butthurt, Bennett. A little bit butthurt that him and his boy HBK didn't win enough. As usual. Uh, hopefully, after the, the screw job we just had, Rutt doesn't um, abandon and join another uh, podcast. How about Bret Hart finally giving some justice to HBK? How about that? That happened tonight. Finally getting justice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Elrod screwed Elrod tonight, but that's okay. Screw job has happened. And uh, it is what it is. I expected this. I knew with my names I had on my list, I was not going to win. But you know what? The best doesn't always win. You Sometimes you got to know your audience. Last week, Bennett knew his audience when he won the draft. This week, Bennett knew his audience when he won the draft. Um, to me, this wasn't about winning. To me, this was about being the best. And, and if being the best doesn't win, then, then so be it. But that's okay. Congratulations to Mr. Bennett, who had a solid list. I will not disparage anybody's name uh, on his list. 
even if he does have three Canadians on it. It was still, yeah. I'm just kidding, just kidding to our one, one maybe two there. people in Canada that have listened to the show. Um, I almost said he had four, but really he only had two because technically Nine Hart was not Canadian. He just married Canadian, um, and Bret Hart's on his list twice. So really just Bret and Trish. But anyway, um, my list is, as Hulk Hogan's mantra when he first came to WCW, American made. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that'll do it for episode 52 of Convince Me. We will be back next week with something. Uh, something good, something entertaining. Gentlemen, any, any parting thoughts? You know, of all the losses I've dealt you in the show, Grant, I think I, I just get the sense this is the most bitter, bitter defeat you've had in terms of your comments toward me. Very bitter defeat. It's okay. You're an ignorant judge. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, sh- I, I didn't expect to win, and that's fine. Bennett, parting words? Yeah, I'm going to say that um, here tonight, my list is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Oh, yeah, because that's the bottom line. I like it. Solid. Rush. This show was Rush back next week. Um, We'll see you then. Until then, you want to know what next week's show is? Check the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go follow us on YouTube. Leave us wherever it's YouTube, whatever platform you listen to. Leave us a comment. Leave us a five-star review. Those things really help us. Uh, Until next week, for Mr. Bennett, for Mr. Elrod, I am Rut. This has been Convince Me. Peace.